friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online, which is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. I am your host, Tammy Riley, and in this week's episode, we get to have conversation with Dr. Devin Markle. She is a sports psychologist and coach at Quinnipiac University. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we have specifically around figuring out boundaries, and she does provide a few tips and tricks, so you're going to want to listen in. I really have enjoyed the authenticity that Devin brings um, in her role and with her education and what she does day in and day out, the true confession that self-care and its practices are still not easy. Uh, I think we can all breathe a little easier. I know we we get down on ourselves when we're not perfect, but self-care, as we all know, is something that requires our attention each and every day. So grab a beverage, sit back, and have a listen to Living Well While Living Online. All right, welcome, friends, to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online. Really looking forward to conversation today with Dr. Devin Markle. She is a sports psychology coach at Quinnipiac University. She is newer to our community and I've really enjoyed every conversation that I've had so far with Devin in the in the hallways a couple of times that we've met. So I knew right away I wanted to pull her in here. So Devin, thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> I would love for you to just start off with giving our listeners a brief overview of who you are, where you came from, because you've mm-hmm. um, you're pretty young, I think. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But you've done a lot already in your career and you're a doctor, so that takes its time. So please share your, share a little bit. Um, Well, I'm originally from Connecticut, so I am happy to be back here and back near home at Quinnipiac. Um, But I grew up around here playing every sport you could imagine. Um, But at about 16, I pretty much knew I wanted to be a psychologist and that was the goal from that day on. you know, I had some really great mentors, and I'd always loved working with kids, so that was a passion of mine. Um, and when I was in high school, I really loved sports. Basketball was a big one. Unfortunately, I'm only five feet tall, so that <laughs> <laughs> that career was limited, but Oops. had a good high school career. Um, but I also played lacrosse. Um, loved it. For me, lacrosse was a great kind of outlet physically, but also confidence-wise. I was a very quiet kid, so that kind of built that part up. Um, And from there, I went to University of Vermont. Um, Looking back, I don't know why I didn't go warmer, but (laughs) I did love it. And I had a unique experience there because I got there. I'd been recruited to some lower, you know, schools, D2, D3. Um, but I thought at that point I was pretty burnt out from sports. Um, I'd also been a really competitive equestrian since oh. I was about five to 18. So I think I kind of wanted to just be, quote, regular kid, focus on my academics. Like I said, I was really passionate about psychology. Um, but I got to University of Vermont and about three weeks into the semester, I knew I made a mistake not being an athlete. Oh, no. Yeah, I love the school. I love my classes. Um, but I actually called a coach who had recruited me. And I said, what do I have to do? Will you take me back? I made a mistake. And she said, maybe next year, but we think you could probably be a D1 athlete. Have you thought about walking on? And I honestly thought this lady's kind of crazy. You know, I'd only played for um, high school seasons. And... 
most sports to be a D1 athlete, you have to, you know, play club or AU. Right. So I was pretty new to the game. Um, so I said, all right, like, either way, I'll train. So I did kind of two-a-days <laughs> on my own. Um, I had some of the lacrosse girls in my classes, so became friends with them. Went into the coach's office, and she said, tryouts are over for this year. You can come back to me in September. So that's exactly what I did. Trained all year. My parents were really supportive. Got me a trainer in the off-season. Um, and my sophomore year, I walked on the first week of school. Wow. Um, so it was super exciting. But at the same time, I don't think I necessarily knew what I got myself into, kind of, you know, playing four years of a high school sport. I went to Amity, which is a local school. We weren't that great, so I kind of could be the stud. And for me, it was a real shock to go from four-year starter, all-star, everything was easy, to I'm now riding the bench, even though I'm at a D1 program, and really shook my confidence. And I'll never forget, we had two sports psychologists come to talk to us, and it just clicked that day for me, like, hey, why do we train so hard physically? why aren't we training mentally? Mm. And so then my career shifted again. I said, all right, cool, I can still do psychology, but this is great. I can make sports my career. Um, so literally from that day on, I was set on going to Boston University. So um, had, a, had a good experience at Vermont, but it was definitely, definitely trying that way. You know, how do you get up and grind every day at 5 a.m., you know, to you know, not necessarily get the payoff, which we all thought was playtime. So for me, it was, I very much think and accredit my sports psychs for kind of helping me have the mindset to grind through and be gritty and what were the other benefits of playing, not just that outcome I was so used to. And, um, and what a great way to be able to really work with your current athletes and all you touch because you mm-hmm. had that experience, which many, many athletes go through that. <laughs> so many. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for it now because I always say I think it did kind of create my career path. If that had not been a setback, I had to face one. Yeah, I don't think I'd be able to help some of my athletes as much as I do. And two, I just think that was a perspective I never had seen before. You know, everything in sport was pretty easy for me and I was very lucky, but now I had to put in that that new side of training the mental side of training so I was really fortunate for it and I did get into um, Boston University and so I got my master's in clinical counseling and a specialty in sports psychology while I was there um, which was a great experience I loved BU it was very much a grind Um, I thought you know was a D1 athlete and a double major this will be easy <laughs> I was <laughs> wrong um but I also loved that training because as much as we focused on sports psychology it still had an emphasis on child and adolescent development and mm. clinical psych so I really appreciate those professors for having that balance because life doesn't fit into boxes and you know i work with athletes with anxiety depression grief like life doesn't stop (laughs) when you play so I think that training was really unique um yeah we think an athlete would come to you for sport performance Mm -hmm. only but they're human Mm -hmm. so they're coming to you for all of the the psychological mental needs exactly and you know I think even even when it is performance I tell them you're not robots so you all tell me you don't want to think or feel when you play but too bad it's going to happen (laughs) so let's kind of have the best possible chance to control our thoughts control our emotions or kind of have our optimal chance to perform at our best 
Um, so yeah, that was a really fun experience. Loved Boston, but by then I was ready to head west coast, get oh out of gosh. all the cold and the snow. So from there I went to California, started a private practice, um, and was really fortunate that Sports Academy opened, you know, in the next town over. I always say I think a lot of your career is just when hard work meets luck. <laughs> the fact that it was three miles away and had, you know, eventually it became Mamba Sports Academy, which was uh, – which was involved Kobe Bryant before his passing. So I think we were lucky, but we also, my part, business partner and I had, you know, networked and grind in the private practice to even be asked to join that team. So for there, I was there for seven years working with uh, everyone from youth athletes, but the majority was a lot of NBA, NFL pre-draft com uh, combine and pre-draft training. Um, and it was just a really fun experience out there. But after COVID, it was time to come back East Coast. So found my way here. <laughs> and, and so here we are today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you joined the university and the sports teams during COVID, which was obviously not an easy thing. So can you just talk a little bit to maybe some things that you're seeing for these specific athletes that are new mm -hmm. that maybe you didn't learn in school because we didn't have a global <laughs> pandemic to deal with? Exactly. I, I think I've used that, that with them a lot of saying, you know, some of this we're navigating together. This is new to all of us. But one of the things I think I've noticed the most um, this year is definitely we have a lot of fifth years. Okay. Um, and I've been telling a lot of people that's that's great. They have another opportunity because they were gypped out of that year of play. But I think that post-COVID, you know, it sets them back a little bit. So I think a lot of them are ready for the next stage of life. So some of the setbacks are thinking, like, should I have come back? You know, this is still a grind. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of athletes coming out of COVID with – well, I have a lot on my plate to balance again, you know, mm. at least last year, they maybe went to practice if they were <laughs> allowed to. Um, but otherwise, you know, class was in their rooms. Now, just daily management of being around that many people again, timing, time management, I have to time get to class, get food, then get to the field. Um, so I think a lot of those stressors, you know, especially for our freshmen and sophomore, they didn't I didn't get to kind of navigate that during COVID. So those are some of the, you know, people may think they're minor, but they're also still big life changes for these athletes to adapt to. Right. I mean, they're out of practice, which is <laughs> what we talk about, right? We know yeah. an athlete's life is about practice, but every mm -hmm. day is a practice. Yep. And you get set in these routines. And we were in that pandemic routine for a while. So yeah. our body created new habits, our mind created new habits. And mm -hmm. I can imagine, you know, I see that with, I'm going to put in air quotes, regular students, you know, <laughs> people in general, it's yeah. very difficult to break out of that cycle. And I even know from myself, you know, oh my gosh, I'm now I'm going to campus. I'm going to work. I need to pack a lunch. I need to, right. you know, <laughs> whatever I need for the day, mm -hmm. I need to have with me, which we were out of that habit. So yeah, and I remind people that we also hated quarantine at first, right? That was so opposite of our habit of go, 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 that then staying home was very challenging for us. So just like I said, we, don't, we didn't adapt to that overnight. We might have to get our footing getting back into things, into, quote, normal life. But, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of things that we, we didn't think about so mindfully, like packing a lunch or planning. Those things were just part of our 
habits. So now kind of getting back into them is a little challenging. And so also during this time period when we were all separated and we weren't you know, together as much, mm-hmm. did you have athletes coming to use your services? And was that for more, I would say more on a personal level for them as we talk about the human, you know, just mm-hmm. regular 20 year old ish <laughs> issues? Or was that more, I can't play my sport you know, I, I'm frustrated. I'm not, you know, out mm-hmm. on the turf or on the field right. or what, what were more of the, I guess, yeah. things that they were dealing with? I would say so. Um, you know, my job is interesting because it is split. I do a lot with the teams as a whole, but then a lot of my work is individual sessions still. So yeah, during that time, it was also kind of an identity crisis. We took away the ability to play and perform Um, So a lot of them were, well, what do I do with all this time? You know, for so long, this is what I do. Or a lot of athletes, especially at the Division I and pro level, I always joke that your sport becomes your last name. How do people introduce you, right? I was introduced as Devin the lacrosse player. (laughs) Um, So for them, we all do it. And so I think for a lot of student athletes during that time, it was oh my gosh, wait, I need other things. And they haven't had that luxury of time to even enjoy hobbies. Um, So a lot of it was finding that. And then there was a lot of fear, obviously, during the downtime of, um, you know, even with some of my younger athletes, will I then get recruited? How will I, how will I do this? Or even, you know, we talk a lot about the younger classmen, but the upperclassmen were, you know, they didn't know if they would get a fifth year or, you know, I'm going right. to miss out on these big life moments. Um, so, yeah, a lot of navigating the unknown, too, because at that point we didn't know how long it would last. <laughs> it seems as if, you know, I look, my daughter came to Quinnipiac, fortunately, mm-hmm. and she played field hockey here. And then there's that transition from the end of your you know, athlete life. And then as they call it here, I don't know in the universe if they call it that, but your your NARP life, yep. your non-athletic <laughs> regular person life. And it, as you're describing that, it sounds to me like a lot of our athletes were going through that transition, but then having to come back to play again. So how do I be a regular person? But oh, wait, now I'm an athlete again, which mm-hmm. is very unusual. Yeah. And I think it was a really hard then to say, okay, how do I stay in my peak mindset and shape but I don't know when that will come back or yeah, it was a balance. Usually once you get to that, you know, retirement phase, you get to plan it out and really face it. This was definitely one foot in, one foot out, I would say. So I think there was a lot of, you know, this fall, especially, um, you know, people were, am I in shape? Where are we going to be? I know even the coaches were stressing, like, where's our fitness level going to be after this? Right. People, especially student athletes, like, we sent them home. Are our 18-year-olds training properly? There's a lot of trust in each other we had to have during that. So, yeah. But yeah, the entering NARP life was <laughs> <laughs> I know. the transition. I mean, yeah, That's, I remember going through that. That was a hard time. I love that reminder, though. You know, for for us on a college campus, our teams are teams. They're mm-hmm. a community. So when you were sending these students home, you were trusting that they were doing it for their team, not mm-hmm. just for themselves, right? right? Because mm-hmm. it would be easy to not be as motivated because you are now by yourself, but they had to really look big picture and they're young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> do, and, and that's 
doesn't mean anything disrespectful, but do you have that drive on your own, which is what makes a team effort Mm -hmm. that much better? You're motivated by your peers and by your coach and by the routine. And Mm -hmm. um, it was a big leap of faith for for everyone. (laughs) Definitely. But I have to say, I've been impressed with how I think most athletes were hungry to return. I think we've been really lucky to have fans. I think even thinking about like mentally, the impact playing a sport without fans has is mind blowing. (laughs) Um, So I think even, you know, our women's soccer team has had great support this fall. Men's lacrosse, men's baseball, ice hockey, women's lacrosse were all at the last game. And I think, you know, it just brought this excitement to the stadium where it's been silent. And that's a weird mental place to be as well of just a little bit of that grind doesn't have game day feel. Now it finally had game day feel again. Right. And for those of you who maybe have not played a sport, like game day is is like you wake up, it's game day. Like it's, it's everything. <laughs> yes, everything revolves around that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It is so important to the psychological piece of getting ready to hit your performance. Mm-hmm. And without that, with, you know, again, we saw this everywhere when you're watching you know, football with nobody in the stadium and (laughs) and basketball with no fans, you know, on TV professional level, you know, we've got student athletes navigating that and that performance. And that takes Mm -hmm. a lot of maturity on their end to be able to get ready without that energetic piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we work (laughs) a lot on then is what kind of is our intrinsic motivation um, and also routines. I'm a big fan of routine development, not only for self-care, but for peak performance I think they're vital they're not superstitions they're not things that are you know I have to eat this at 9 a.m or else it's more this is this is what fits me this is what makes me feel confident it's a checklist it's preparedness and that did have to change and then we had to change them again this fall right um but I think that flexibility I'm impressed with how people have kind of rebounded or been resilient that's such a great segue <laughs> <laughs> because obviously we're going to speak to self-care particularly. Mm-hmm. So for you, you know, Devin, mm-hmm. Dr. Devin, not, you know, your sports psychologist hat, but for you, what is what is self-care for you? Yeah, I think this is something that I've worked with over the years trying to figure it out. And that's what I tell everyone, too, is just because I'm a psychologist doesn't mean I have it figured out either. And there's definitely been ebbs and flows of you know, where I've had to pause, I think sometimes it also becomes a challenge for me personally because I I preach it so much that it feels like I could be doing it. Right. <laughs> but then you need to step back and say, wait, am I actually practicing what I preach? And so sometimes I, I do appreciate talking about it because it makes me reflect. I think um, for me, it's been also figuring out boundaries of time. I think that's always a challenge in any helping profession. Yes. That self-care has to be those boundaries, um, especially, you know, my first few years in this field, you want to help everyone you can as much as you can. Um, and for me personally, during COVID, that was a challenge because there were no, you know, come to my office and office hours. So I think Right. I felt like I made myself maybe too accessible, but we all were. We were hooked to our computers, our emails, so people thought, well, you know, if I'm home, I'll answer this. Whereas before, I may have had a little bit better boundaries on my time. So over the years, I've learned time for me is really important um, because I'm so lucky that I love what I do. 
but I can definitely lose myself that way, you know. Even this this fall's been great, and I love coming to games. I love watching my athletes, but then all of a sudden, you know, oh, I'm here on Saturday and Sunday. Right. And, you know, and, and I think that's the other thing. People think self-care has to happen when you're burnt out or miserable. Sometimes it's also because you really enjoy it and need to continue to enjoy it. And right. So for me, that's been the biggest piece of time. <laughs> right, Get it, using it before you get to that point. Mm-hmm. But you brought up such a great point with the idea of boundaries, which I've talked about with other guests. And I think just in life, many of us struggle with creating boundaries. Mm -hmm. But that removal of the office time and the blend that many of us went through with, Mm -hmm. just to your point, oh, I'm sitting at the kitchen table enjoying a cup of coffee. I may as well, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) help this person or or this, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, or do this task. And I think a lot of us struggled with creating that in the beginning did you have mm-hmm. anything in particular that you did to help you with that like I'm actually trying to pull yeah. out maybe a tip or yeah. something that I think you did. for me it's always been also just physical space so during COVID it was that my home office would be upstairs okay. I didn't you know my bedroom everything else kitchen everything's downstairs so that had to be a separate space um you know I've even when I took this job I made sure to get a different cell phone Oh, okay. You know, I think for me, technology is a big one, too, especially working with young adults. And my previous experience has been young adults and teenagers that I'm connected to them via text constantly. Um, So having a different cell phone that I go home and it goes into a basket and it does not come out at certain hours until I'm back in the office. That's Um, such a great practice. (laughs) And I I recommend that for anyone, even there's great apps like even Google Voice, that way your work line can be on a separate thing than where where your social life and your friends and family mix because you're going to be on your cell phone. So what I found happening was, oh, same thing. Well, let me answer it before I forget. So I really made that a specific thing to separate it. But, you know, even in grad school, a simple tool that they teach is when you lock your office door, you leave all of that, take a deep breath and leave it in there. Lock that door and lock away that that burden of the day. Um, so I think especially for those of us who work with others and emotions and helping, you know, it's very hard. I can't say there aren't nights I go home worrying about a student or, you right. know, thinking about how to help them, but at least if we can leave some of that weight there. And I again, it's about being mindful of it, getting into those types of routines that every day I make sure to do that when I leave my office of a mental, okay, I'm going to close the door, close the day here. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so intentional and in a way that really it's it's just leaving it behind and mm-hmm. not not for selfish reasons right. it's really <laughs> like we're saying for that self-care of i need to have that space so that i can mull things over without a distraction because we do like right. you mull your day over <laughs> if you go to work out you're probably thinking about it as you move as mm-hmm. i do um <laughs> But but not having to, you know, fix something right away and to give yourself the space so you come back fresh. And mm-hmm. that's with your energy, but also your perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, the ability to, yeah, have that be sustainable because otherwise, again, that burnout. And I think a lot of, you know, myself included, I think a lot of us who even compete at the Division One level or are highly driven or anyone really who enjoys athletics, 
most likely have perfectionism in our <laughs> just in a our little. traits, just a little, <laughs> right? And I even joke with the athletes here of, you know, as a hopefully recovering perfectionist, um, you know, I think part of that plays into it too of like, well, I always have this sense of urgency, but right. that doesn't always, you know, suit my job. It doesn't always suit my client. It doesn't always suit my self-care. There's so kind of retraining my mind that way to be like, okay, this doesn't have to be perfect or solved now either um, has been a big learning learning gap for me. <laughs> yeah, and all of this is, even though we're sort of talking a lot of this may have developed out of the, the pandemic and, right. you know, literally being mm-hmm. on our computers and, and mm-hmm. doing this all the time, but it's such great practical advice for all of us, but especially caregivers, like mm-hmm. you're saying, people who are in these helping professions, mm-hmm. whether that's medically, whether you're helping, you know, mental health, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, I look at in the in the fitness world, right? So for my world, everything is self-care right. and people are always messaging you and you're always on, always on. So, mm-hmm. you know, creating that boundary of it's okay to have time when you're not on, I'm going to yes. put in, in, quote, in air quotes <laughs> mm-hmm. of not being on. And uh, I, I think too having our phones which is an incredible thing that we have this technology that we can be anywhere and check in with our people or or our office Mm or find information but as we know (laughs) it also makes it really difficult to shut down yeah and so um, just valuing that time Mm -hmm. and because we deserve it yes (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's you know to me that's one of the good things that came out of this COVID is that you know, I think people then did actually start to value their time differently. Wow, look what we can do when we slow down. Look at how we can balance a little bit more life for family and work. You know, it wasn't always easy. I know a lot of parents out there had kids in the background or whatever, but I also think, you know, we all kind of um, were patient with each other that way. Yeah. Um, so to me, it made me appreciate that I could still kind of have the same level of success and also do it in a slower way or a way that was a little bit more valuable of my time. Um, but I also think the word you brought up was intention. And I'm, you know, the athletes here will get <laughs> sick of me because they will say, yes, intentional, Devin, intentional. <laughs> but that's why I always say it's not always more. It's just right. even with their games, you know, sometimes I say I don't have any, you know, big profound statement today other than keep it simple and go out there with one intention. And I think, you know, that's part of self-care too. We talk about it a lot. It's a it's a hot topic. It's a hot word, but it doesn't have to be something big you do. It can be, oh, you know what? Putting my phone away is an intentional action or absolutely something as simple as, okay, you know what? I've been so busy this week. I didn't even have time for a face mask like I keep a little self-care basket in my office for the kids as nail polish face mask a journal like some candy but just even pausing for one of those moments oh I love yeah. that that's <laughs> such a great idea yeah. <laughs> I have all of those things just not in a little basket but yeah I'm gonna have to uh, put a little kit together there you myself yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so I I do think too you know getting people to take a step back and slow down and and reconfigure what what the life of more is and it's interesting mm-hmm. you know even as a yoga teacher I can think of um, cueing that I use mm-hmm. and and oftentimes we say get deeper in the pose and so the first reaction of, of a practitioner is that means I need to do it more <laughs> I need to do it harder I need yep. to get my head on the floor you know whatever the more is 
But I really tried to rephrase that or to remind them that more is your intention, your awareness, Mm -hmm. your presence, your breath, right? What you're focusing on because we have this idea that when we want someone, I'm going to say to give more, that it, that it's just, it's bigger instead of (laughs) a little more simple, like you're saying less is more, or just that idea of presence. And it's really hard to reframe our thoughts around that. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things I took away from grad school, Dr. Amy Baltzell was a professor of mine and a guru of mindfulness, and she asked us a question that was so simple and so funny, but she said, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? And usually it's go to the restroom. She said, well, from your bed to your bathroom door, how many steps does it take? I had no clue, but I've probably done that, what, thousands of times? So just, again, pausing in the actions you do or you know, a simple mindfulness, you know, question everyone can ask is, all right, how many stoplights from my house to my office? You know, we've done that thousands of times. You have to stop and count, even though you probably know the directions with your eyes closed. So I think, you know, I give those tools to a lot of people. And I have those ones I've tried to practice more of myself because I think otherwise you're so much in your head of the future. I have to, I need to, I must. Uh, do all these things that's so future oriented or you know I should have done this or could have done that it's past so when we're doing those we're mentally time traveling (laughs) exactly yeah and so we usually do those in those those moments so kind of being more mindful of what's the action I'm taking care of now also trains the brain to be able to do it more often so within all of this you had mentioned you know new new practices and things that you value is there something that you began during the time during a pandemic that now you still have in your life yeah I mean I think yoga was a big one I've always done yoga but I think during the pandemic I kind of valued that or that was the part of my day I looked forward to that practice of also turning off electronically um, so I think that one kind of really stuck out is that's my time. Um, and are you still now yes, that we're back yes, full swing? <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty good about that one. Um, Got to find another studio here. But I do a lot of stuff at home. But I think, um, yeah, for me, that was just I like that time where I don't have to look at a phone, at a computer. Um, so I think that's one of the things. But also just being more mindful of my schedule. You know, I'm still working on that for sure because I you know I even mentioned to you that I'll be here till 10 p.m. on Monday but right then I think instead my old self would have been like okay and then back in here at 8 a.m. on Tuesday that's just what you do now I'm like okay well maybe Tuesday can be 10 a.m. <laughs> you know right right so but that's, that's such a great permission right mm-hmm. we have to be able to preserve our time you know mm-hmm. re- refuel yeah. because in academia as as many people who our, our meetings are late night. You and I mm-hmm. laughed about this, and I'm very old, and I hate that 9.15 meeting. That's my bedtime. But, you know, if there's a trade-off, something's got to give, and you might need that sleep because sleep is valuable. Right. So. so I do think, like, those types of practices of where I used to think, again, that was just what I was used to, go, 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 that those practices of it will still all get done <laughs> just may have to look a little different than it used to. And it's so important, I think, for the work that we do with our young community that we are open with our struggles with that Mm -hmm. and how it's a practice for us because 
they I think the students and you and I know this Mm -hmm. they think that you know they wake up one day and everything is perfect (laughs) and and that's not the way it is we work on this forever and so for them to see your authenticity and the and the daily struggles and the practices like a they're giving us tools to work with them Mm -hmm. but it's also that reminder and I try to tell students too like you're this is the ebb and flow as you referenced (laughs) and some pockets will be great and then you're going to 10 years from now, you might be struggling with something that you never had to think about. So that's the truth and the reality of all of this. Yeah, I tell a lot of them, like, it took me to realize, like, happiness isn't our resting state. It's not our natural resting state. You know, it takes effort to be happy, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's also a relief when they hear that, like, oh, okay, this is, you know, normal, you know, the movement of positive psychology is great but I think we have to remember that that's all effort and that can be exhausting sometimes and that's also okay if it is exhausting you know that it can be hard it's okay to just say today is really hard (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and again you work with athletes who get the concept of practice Mm -hmm. but I think for many people they just view it as that one thing right the physical act of I'm going to practice instead of every day that we wake up Mm -hmm. recognizing it's another day to practice because we're just practicing our life you know Mm -hmm. no one has given us a a manual on how to do it (laughs) yes and it's different for each of us Mm -hmm. and different phases of our life bring different things Mm -hmm. you know your transition back from the sunny west coast (laughs) and now you're back with family and new Mm -hmm. routines you know so the ebb and flows you know we don't have it down so we do yeah. still need to practice yeah I think that's so true and even just in my experience you know I moved back about a year ago this month and it was pretty much a spur of the moment like I need to kind of get back with family and friends so I think even sometimes when I talk about it I want them to know yeah I even had to figure it out as recently as this year it's not there's never gonna be a spot in life where you're like oh I have it all figured out right Um, I know why do people think that (laughs) I think many of us think that that is the case but Mm -hmm. we're not as open to the idea that you know we're just we're just every day can be a struggle Mm -hmm. right yeah the, the ins and outs and the balance of it all Um, So I like to ask all of my guests (laughs) a little question about friendships. So again, um, just from the little I know of you, you know, Mm -hmm. your your kindness and the type of human (laughs) that you are, you know, I know the value of friendship that you have. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, how are you at being your own best friend? (laughs) Well, it's funny you bring that up because I talk a lot about self-talk because the way you talk to yourself has to be the most important piece because if you wouldn't talk to a friend like that, Mm -hmm. then you probably shouldn't talk to yourself like that. You are Um, the person (laughs) to ask this then. (laughs) Yeah, and and again, I think that's a challenge and especially, I, I even, I say that, but I remind myself of that. If there's a day I'm feeling like, why am I not getting this done or I have to do this. It's like, would I turn around to my best friend and tell her, why aren't you getting this done today? You're being this or that. It's, you know, I think we're very quick to judge ourselves. Um, So I try to kind of practice that and remember that. And I'm also big about it's not rainbows and butterflies self-talk either. Right. I can say, you know, today is really hard and I will just finish what I can. You know, I'm not saying, you know what, today's hard, but it's a great, wonderful, like, we don't, (laughs) I think that's what people assume positive self-talk is. Right. But sometimes it's also acknowledging, like, 
you know, or, you know, I've had to tell myself there's days where, like, it's okay to not be okay. Um, I would tell my friend that if they were going through a hard time. So I think that's a huge part of, you know, if you're not, you know, no one else will say that for you. Obviously, we have great friends or family and people who will, but they could say it till they're blue in the face or I'll tell athletes, you know, coach can give you all the praise in the world, but until you say it or believe it, doesn't matter yeah that's so true um, so I think that part's big and it's more um with the with the it's more like tough love as you're mm-hmm. talking about it to yourself <laughs> in a way of you know you messed up today mm-hmm. but it's okay right, right? so we're gonna <laughs> own it we're gonna allow ourselves to think about it right now and mm-hmm. we're gonna move through it and we're going to learn from it yeah. and I think there's that difference with the self-talk like you're saying the mm-hmm. the one where we're trying to convince ourselves of something <laughs> else right um but also the self-talk of owning the reality and and accepting and sitting with it so mm-hmm. I think too we're good I know as a friend I want to fix you mm-hmm. and I've been working a lot on just being a listener Mm-hmm. And I think I need to do that more for myself as yeah. well, right? So, I think, yeah, I think everyone can. And, you know, I went to 20 plus years of school literally to learn how to just be a good listener. <laughs> I always say that's what being a clinical psychologist, you're trained to just truly sit and listen. But I also think, you know, for me, self care is even for me to go to therapy and have that space. I think that's a gift where you have 45 minutes of undivided attention and sometimes it helps you also be able to say that and listen to yourself because I know I'll say things in there that I wouldn't say to a friend or a family or just kind of comes out organically so I go no matter if it's good or bad I've always been that's always been one of my practices um I love that advice yeah because it (laughs) is and I I've been talking about that a lot with adding a little more mindfulness in your day which which we all struggle (laughs) but being a better listener or a more active listener whether Mm -hmm. it's just in nature and you're Mm -hmm. hearing what's around you (laughs) or to a friend that just needs to say it um and also, you know, I was talking yesterday with somebody. I was saying, as I meet new people, my brain is so full mm-hmm. and I'm so scattered doing a lot of things and thinking about a lot at once that I'll walk away sometimes and think, oh my gosh, I don't remember their name. <laughs> right? And, and at it's first, very common, yeah. And at first, I was like, oh my God, I'm getting old. Like, I can't remember <laughs> names. But I realized because I was always good at it, it's because I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. It's because while I'm looking at you and you're saying your name and introducing like my brain is thinking about other things because I'm in the future mm-hmm. and I'm on to the next thing so I've even been stressing being you know just more present even in the smaller connections exactly. that I've had someone who might not be my best friend or <laughs> someone I even see again right and I think the the great thing is that we're all trying to connect but yeah we're th- we're more thinking well how can I ask that next question or how am I going to reply to what she's saying right now and we're all in our head about that yeah. reply and not that. Yeah. But there is a trick for that, too. Oh, when they okay. say your, their name, whatever it starts with. So if I introduce myself as Devin, you can remember Devin D. Dog. And you're even being present there of letting the name sit. So something it reminds you of or something like that. But again, then you're not jumping straight to, oh, Devin, I know a Devin. Or let me ask about that. Or, right. Right. Or you're just. Even just focusing on the name. Yeah, or your, your eye catches someone else. You're like, oh, I need to get that person, whatever exactly. it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so hard. It's really so hard. It I, is a very hard skill. <laughs> and just the pre- the idea of 
being present. And I really loved how you've stressed a couple times that are that future thinking or that forward thinking and mm-hmm. you know obviously I was thinking about that even here I'm like I'm trying to be present in the yep. conversation but I'm like where am I going next and kind of looking at mm-hmm. my sheet um but but you do want to just hear and and sit with whatever's happening and it's so hard because our brain is wired to always be thinking about something yep. so <laughs> it, even that takes a practice of bringing it in and it's essentially you know full presence when you're mm-hmm. doing anything or with yeah. someone <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, I think my training as a psychologist is great because I've learned some of these tips along the way, but even, you know, in between activities, like resetting, let yourself, you know, use tools that you've learned in yoga or if you're a runner, you're breathing, right. you know, kind of saying, okay, that task is over, I'm on this task, or I tell my student athletes, there's nothing you can do at your 10 a.m. class for 3 p.m. practice, because 10 a.m. class has to get to 10.50, whether you're thinking about it the whole time (laughs) or not. Those 50 minutes need to occur. Um, So those are all things that I think we can all work on. I still try to work on it every day, but I think all the self-care, too, is about keeping it simple. It doesn't have to be big, extravagant, you know. We all love a spa day, but it doesn't always need to be that. Um, it's more about these daily actions. Right. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, having those few little go-tos that mm-hmm. we can get value out of, that we're doing with care and thought. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm all for a spa day as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, those don't fit in many of our daily mm-hmm. routines. So, you know, having that list. One of my very first guests that I had on our podcast, um, Lauren Gestal, she was actually a former Quinnipiac student. She worked for me for many years. I adore her and she's a mm-hmm. PT. But she said she has this little list of like five things <laughs> that like kind of help ground her yeah. or that, you know, remind her of how to be a little more present or that little sacred space. So when she feels herself wandering, she's got that list to go back to or when she needs to regroup and ground okay here's my thing mm-hmm. and it and it's so true that that's such a beautiful self-care practice and it's you either have them in your phone you have them mm-hmm. on a little piece of paper it's a reminder mm-hmm. it's it's so free most of yeah. it's free <laughs> <laughs> and that's where a lot of the apps are even great i know uh, breath work or there's a app called fabulous like it even Ooh, has reminders has reminders on it where you can set it to you know oh I need an afternoon like two minute mindfulness and uh, breath work the same way you can kind of pick oh I'm feeling a little stressed or I'm feeling fatigued at 3 p.m. I need some energy Um, so I do think you know that's the other great thing about our technology is right you know disconnect for sure but there's also some great tools to use it to help or get you into the practices because sometimes it's like oh I listen to this podcast that's great I do it for a week then out of sight out of mind right right so I do think yeah using those things to get it into your daily habits are are great settings and reminders and and I love that reminder too because you know we get on the phone and it becomes the rabbit hole for many Mm -hmm. of us and we do things very mindlessly (laughs) scrolling and scrolling (laughs) yeah and so again we're not even present right you don't even see or notice what you're looking at Mm -hmm. but using it intentionally to look and and have these mm-hmm. tools on your phone and there's so many I'm gonna look I don't do yeah. not know these two that yeah. you mentioned so thank you for that yeah, tip because uh, <laughs> I just recently found a great article that had like the best free mm. you know kind of mindfulness apps mm-hmm. that were out there but 
I did yeah, not see these, these are on some there. hidden gems. <laughs> all right. I love that from the sports psychologist world, maybe. Yeah. Um, all right, Devin, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Right. I, I really, really appreciate your time of and your Thank you. honest conversation. Of <laughs> and the listeners hopefully have a few tips as well or things to think about and mull over. I know our student athletes are lucky to have you on this oh, campus. It's been a long time coming for them. Yes. <laughs> so I'm sure they all appreciate having you and your understanding. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'll see you soon. Yes. All right. Thank you. I so appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. And Devin, I cannot thank you enough. Listeners, I hope that you had your pens out and that you were taking some notes. She gave us some great tips. Um, but I do love the authentic conversation that even though we know logically, and for Devin is a doctor trained um, in the world of psychology, that it still is work, that all of us are still needing to reach out on a day-to-day -day basis to work on our self-care and to really craft our practice and to really meet ourselves where we are each and every day. So I am hopeful that you enjoyed listening in and had a few great takeaways from this week. I'm hoping also that you'll come back next week when I have Rob Dextrader. I'm super excited to share him. This is my nephew coming to you. He is in Florida and we get to have a little uh, aunt and nephew conversation about self-care, which honestly, we've never got to have this moment before. So please stay tuned and listen in. I'd like to give a special thanks to the team that puts this together. To Renette Chifu, our producer, and David DeRoche, executive producer. Thank you, Lawrence Gupo, for the social media, and to Scott Holmes, who does our theme music. To learn more about our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast, and you can listen to all of our podcasts on the platform or app of your choice. You can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at qupodcasts, and feel free to email us at qupodcasts at qu.edu. So until next week, my friends, be intentional, breathe deep, and learn to be your own best friend.